Welcome to the Stuck in the Ivy podcast. My name is Jacob Zanola, also known as Jay-Z2016 Cubs on Twitter, and I will be your host for this brand new podcast covering the team that we all know and love, the Chicago Cubs. I have been a Cubs fan for my whole life. I've been following them for at least the last uh, decade, probably longer than that, uh, and I have been very religiously and dedicated uh, obsessing over them for the last at least uh, seven to eight years, especially when we won the World Series back in 2016. Some people forget that. Uh, so I will be going over many things throughout this podcast. Obviously, um, whenever the season starts, we'll go over the games and stuff that is happening in real time. Otherwise, this offseason, just going to go over some of the offseason predictions that I have, predictions that other people may have, uh, the news from around the MLB. Obviously, I'll cover that. You can't uh, have a baseball podcast without covering the news from all around the league. And then just going over some projections and obviously the loaded farm system that we do have with all of the great prospects. So I will cover a ton. Uh, the social medias for the podcast, before we get started, I did want to shout those out um, on Twitter and Instagram at Stuck in Ivy Pod. That's where you're able to find us on Twitter and Instagram. So if you wouldn't mind going and following us on those and then subscribing on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, whichever platform you do happen to use. So, I guess let's jump right into it. Uh, the Craig Council press conference was the first topic on my mind. If you, Unless you're living under a rock, you know that the Cubs hired. And the, if you still like lived under a rock, you probably heard about it. The news is everywhere. It shocked the baseball world. It shocked everyone. Uh, the Chicago Cubs hiring Craig Council as their 56th manager in franchise history. So, this was about a week and a half ago. And a week, week and a half ago, and it is still shocking. Uh, he came from the Brewers, which are our rivals. I would say not really on the player base, and we did hear a little bit from him uh, during the press conference about this. It is more the fans that make this the rivalry, not really the players. I'd still say, I mean, I think most people would agree, the Cubs-Cardinals is still the true rivalry, especially with the players and the team in general, and obviously the fans. But still, taking your manager from your arch rival is still a pretty big deal and then giving him the largest contract in managerial history double what bob melvin is currently getting paid bob melvin was the padres manager now he went over to the giants so he did a little bit of a switcheroo but that i know of the padres and giants rivalry is nowhere near as big as the cubs and brewers so giving him a four a five-year contract worth 40 million uh i mean eight million a year is no joke Eight million a year is a lot for a manager. It's not that much for a player, but putting on a manager that's never really been done before. I believe I saw Joe Torre is the one time that it has been done, but that was a while ago. So in the current era, especially, that is just mind-boggling. You do wonder how much of an effect that had on getting him here. Uh, he did mention, "Oh yeah, I've always wanted to manage the Cubs and stuff," which I do believe is true. I mean, it's the Chicago Cubs. They're a very well-known, very historic franchise. Everyone wants to manage for them. Uh, but obviously, I think if you're getting offered $8 million for something that you normally only get $4 million for, you're going to take that deal. Uh, but the press conference was on Monday, and there were a lot of takeaways from it. It was a very overall a very positive press conference, showed a lot of hope and future for this team. One of the quotes that I did want to point out says, uh, where Craig Council said, The organization is in great health. It's time to be a Cub. There is momentum happening here, and it feels close. So I think that it was very clear. He said the organization is in great health. For those of you that may not have been paying attention very closely, or for those of you that were and did not catch this, this will happen very quickly. 
uh, as there were reports of him going to the Mets, possibly, or the Brewers. The Mets ended up hiring. Uh, they already have a coach. The Brewers just hired a coach as well, Pat Murphy, uh, who was Craig Council's bench coach. There were rumors that he might come over to the Cubs, but instead the Brewers decided to stay in-house, uh, much to Brewers fans' demise. I've seen they are very unhappy with that. Uh, they, I'm guessing they wanted them to go out and spend. There weren't really many managerial options out there, but I think that they wanted something new that was not Pat Murphy. Alas, uh, they did go with Pat Murphy, and so it was around November 1st, I believe is what they said, was the first day that they did not ha- that the Cubs would not have had to ask the Brewers for permission to talk to Craig Council. And obviously, if you go to your arch rival and say, hey, can we talk to your manager about hiring him? They're going to say no. I mean, I think that's clear as day. They're going to say no. And so the Cubs waited until November 1st. Tom Ricketts, in an interview that I read today, said that Jed Hoyer texted or called him and was like, hey, we have a chance to look at Craig Council. What are your thoughts about this? And Tom said, whatever you think is best for the team, do it, which I think is very important. And I'll just go off track a little bit and mention that here, how important that is to have an owner that is willing to step back and say, whatever is best for the team, go ahead and do that. Sure, we may not always love him you know, for his spending, and he doesn't always spend Bryce Harper, anybody. Uh, he doesn't always spend like we think he should, but knowing, hey, I hired a GM or a base president of baseball operations in Jed Hoyer, who then hard, uh, hired Carter Hawkins to be the GM. I'm going to trust them and just say, here's my money. Do, what with, uh, do with it what you need to win games. Now, will they do it? That's yet to be seen. Hopefully, uh, hopefully I'll have an emergency podcast about Shohei Otani coming up soon. Uh, but and that's getting ahead of ourselves. I think it is very important to know that the owner trusts the GM, and you know, there's no obviously animosity or anything between them. I wouldn't say Jed's in the hot seat quite yet. I would say if nothing happens this season and they don't do anything this offseason, and then the team fails this season, I do think you look into moving on from him as your president of baseball operations. But I think it is very clear that the Cubs are in a positive spot here in the front office and in spending and organizationally. Craig Council's words were very specific. He says, the organization is in great health. It is time to be a Cub. It is time, in a way, from what I took from that, he said, I mean, hey, Shohei, kind of the Cubs, you know, like all these free agents, like, hey, it is time to be a Cub. If you see someone go and make that aggressive move that no one saw, that's amazing. Tom Ricketts said, hey, yeah, you can do this. So then basically Jed went and he talked to Craig Council. Craig actually said that he screened Jed's call the first time and did not answer. And then he called him back, obviously. Uh, Otherwise, you know, he would not be our manager now. And so then that happened all very quickly. And he gave uh, Craig the plan. Craig liked it, the plan for this offseason and the future. And it clearly worked. Obviously, even if Jed doesn't fall out with the plan, it worked on Swanson. It worked on Suzuki. You know, he knows what he's doing with persuasion, at least, even if he doesn't follow through with all of them, he knows what he's doing with persuasion. So you do wonder what he said in that plan, and maybe further down the road we'll find out if uh, when those things end up happening, what his plan was. But he says there is momentum happening here, and it feels close. You have, we have said for the last few years, 2024, 2025 is going to be the Cubs' really competitive window where they're like, hey, the prospects will be up by then, we can go all out. It's kind of crazy that it's already that time, and you're like, oh, well, we are in 2023. We're going into 2024. We are at this time. There is momentum happening here, and it feels close. We are close to that good team. I loved that. I loved that quote. And it shows that this manager, he has faith. I mean, Craig Council has faith in Jed. 
and he has faith that he can really build this team. And Craig is an addition that will be so helpful. I mean, so helpful in so many ways. Craig talked about making a lot of good small decisions and building upon those. I think that is very important. All the small decisions that you may think don't really add up, they do, and they will end up winning you ballgames. And I think Craig, Craig Council was very good at those small decisions that may not look big at that time, but they add up and it wins him ballgames. So much, like he very clear, it wins him ballgames. He has finished top five in the uh, NL Manager of the Year award five times. In 2017, he finished fourth. In 2018, he finished second. In 2020, 2019 rather, he finished second. 2020, he finished seventh. And then 2021, he finished second. And then 2023, he finished second as well. That award was announced about two hours ago. They gave it to uh, Schumacher of the Marlins instead of Craig Council, although it would have been very comedic if they had given it to Council because, A, he's on the Cubs, so the Brewers would have had to post a congratulatory tweet, and then, you know, maybe he wears Cubs gear on the stage. He wouldn't actually have, but that would have been very, uh, that would have been hilarious. Uh, it is very clear that he knows what he's doing. I did think it was very interesting when looking at the baseball reference for Craig Council. I forgot they had manager ones. Uh, it shows his ejections. His ejection high was in 2021 when he was ejected five times. And then his, uh, looks like this year he had three and then two in last year. But it also talks about his challenges, which I thought was very interesting. And how he only challenged 14 times this year with a 48% overturn rate in 2021. He challenged seven times with a 71% success rate. Anyway, I just thought that was interesting. In his career as a manager, he has a 531 win-loss record, 707 wins, and 625 losses. Uh, most of them have been winning seasons. You look at this year was a winning season at 92 and 70. 2022, 86 and 76 a winning season. 2021, they were 95 and 67. 2020 was a losing season. That was the COVID year. They went 29 and 31, 89 and 73 in 2019. In 2018, they went 96 and 67, 2017, 86 and 76. And then his first two years as the Brewers manager in 2015 and 2016, he went 61 and 76 and 73 and 89 respectively. So you see that it is very common that he will get you over 500 and he will do it very well with this team. And the Brewers are very low in payroll. They are top like in the top lower third of payroll so you wonder what the cubs can do if we actually spend i believe i saw we are fifth in payroll at this moment in the mlb and that's before we spent anything 168 million or in that ballpark is where we are sitting as we uh, speak right now on november 14th and it is very clear he can do little or he can do a lot with a little payroll you imagine what he can do with a lot of payroll uh, he also mentioned wanting to take things slow reporters were saying hey have you done this have you done this have you done this have you done this he made it very clear this is he he i mean he said and he was very honest he said i'm a little scared i'm nervous uh which obviously i, I would be too it's been like you know that media is massive compared to milwaukee makes milwaukee's look like a tiny like you know like an ant compared to a big I and mean, i'm thinking of the honey i shrunk the kids and that movie but you know it seems it had to be very overwhelming and he said i want to get things right he seemed very determined to get things right, as any manager should, but it seemed very sincere and very like, okay, we are going to get things done. We are going to win ballgames. And he said, I want to take things slow so that he can get things right. He doesn't want to rush it and mess anything up. He wants to get things right. Another topic when talking about the Craig Council hiring is the firing of David Ross. So David Ross was the manager. 
I'm not a fan of him in his managerial aspect as a person. Great person. I've met with him. I've talked with him a bunch uh, at games, got his autograph for. He's a great guy, very kind. Uh, I wish him luck in the future. Problem is he was not a very good manager, and that is really what you need. I mean, it's you know you want to be a good person, obviously, but then you also have to you know be a very good uh, manager as well if you want to continue in this league. When Ken Rosenthal said that, yes, he uh, Craig Council would be going to a team with an existing manager, I said as a joke, oh, it's the Cubs. And then when it actually was, I found that very surprising because I did not think the Cubs and Jed Hoyer would actually fire David Ross. I think it shows that Jed Hoyer is willing to do whatever it takes, a little bit of a cutthroat, like ruthless in a way. But I do understand, I do respect how Jed Hoyer flew down to meet David Ross and say, hey, like this is it. He didn't do it over a text. He didn't do a like, dumb bailout. He went right to his house and said, hey, they had a long conversation. Then Ross talked with counsel. Uh, you look at Ross's managerial record, four years with the Cubs. He started in 2020, obviously a little rough there uh, with the pandemic season. But he went 34 and 26, which was very impressive. And then in 2021, he went 71 and 91. And then he improved three games going 74 and 88. And then he improved nine more games, going 83 and 79. So you would say, wow, that's really impressive that he was able to go and improve by nine games. The big stat is that they made the playoffs one time in those four years, and that was in the COVID season. Obviously, in 2021, you can scratch that. We traded all of our players, got some really great return, obviously, but we traded all of our players. Not much you can really do with that team. 2022 as well i understand you can't really do much with that team i mean that team was just a wash 2023 however was a team where we were on pace for 90 something wins could have won the division at one point we were within like a game or half a game of the division after one day we were leading the division but i mean you look at it we had a very good chance to win that division or at least make the wild card we could have easily gotten the first spot in the wild card and said the phillies got it they ended up going all the way to the nlcs and the cubs missed it because we also were tied with a lot of teams and we didn't have the tiebreaker so you look at it even if we had won one more game it still might not have mattered david ross was accountable for at least five or six of those games probably more with his lineups his the saying that ended up being a cliche among cubs, cubs fans that was we're gonna let the guys that got us here play which doesn't make any sense if there's better options you get those better options and i think that is what jed did which David Ross learned the hard way is, oh, maybe this works. Jed said he was not going to go with the guys that got us here because clearly it wasn't getting them anywhere. He saw a better option in Craig Council and he took it. He was They were willing to spend the money. He was willing to make the cutthroat move and be sneaky about it. No one knew until he posted it. No one said Council to the Brewers. Like, no one legitimately, without a joke, no reporters or anything knew anything of it until Ken Rosenthal said, Council to the Cubs and the world broke loose and it was like whoa that really just happened uh the next thing that i did so i understand when people are saying oh they did ross dirty i do feel a little bit bad for ross but also it's a business i think he'll get another job somewhere maybe not this year uh the yankees did offer him a bench coach job and he turned it down not sure if i like that i think he should have kept it because i'm not sure how much longer aaron boone will uh, last so if he could have built the relationship and then brian cashman uh, dishing on Stanton and now the Yankees organization is just an absolute shambles as of today that's topic for another day but I do think he should have taken that because then you can build the relationship and you look around there's not really any teams I believe the Padres are the one team without a manager now because the Angels got theirs in Ron Washington 
Cardinals aren't firing Marmol as much as they should, but I'm not sure how big of an upgrade David Ross is. My Cardinals fan friends have said we would love David Ross over Marmol. No, no, you wouldn't. But there are no teams that need a manager now except for the Padres, and David Ross was mentioned slightly, but it does not seem like he is a serious candidate for that job. So he turned down a bench coach job to just go and sit in a home. Now, He's going to be sitting at home getting paid millions by the Cubs. I respect it. That's kind of the American dream. You know, just go home, do nothing, and just live life, probably golf a ton, and fish, you know, whatever, and make millions. Like, okay, I I respect that. But if I were him, I would have taken that Yankees job. Uh, Another thing about uh, talking about free agents, uh, Marcus Stroman opted out. So this was very shocking. Marcus Stroman opted out. I did not think that Stroman would opt out. I don't think any Cubs fans really saw it as a chance. I think it was very shocking when he did opt out. He turned down his uh, player option for $21 million. So if you guys remember, he signed right before the lockout. It was the night of the lockout. I remember I was at work when I got the notification about it and got all excited and because he said he wanted to sign so he knew what team he was playing for before the lockout started. Thankfully, the lockouts, you know, that's been done. It'll be back in a few years. But he signed, and then there was that option for $21 million that he declined. He had a very, 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 and I cannot say the word very enough, very, very, very poor second half. He started off, him and Steele looked like they could go one and two. Either way, flip-flop, they could go one or two in the Cy Young voting. Neither of them ended up becoming finalists. Steele uh, was the one that he probably should have been a finalist. Uh, he was not a finalist, and so Stroman just absolutely bombed the second half. The collapse all started at the London game. Trey Mancini made an error, and then after that, it was just everything just collapsed for Marcus Stroman. Am I blaming it on Trey Mancini? No. Can I? I mean, yeah, he's kind of the victim of everything. No, it, it was a bad signing, but I, I was at that game, and I do remember watching that in the London game. That was game two because Justin Steele shoved in game one. In game two, uh, he just absolutely collapsed. He was never the same. Then he went on the IL. He had multiple injuries, blister, I believe, oblique. Uh, there were just multiple injuries that he had. And then he came back, and he didn't really do anything after that. And so you look at it, and you're like, okay, is he going to risk saying, hey, but look what I did for the first half of the season? Or is he just going to take the safe $21 million, try to reestablish himself, and then make a boatload of money after? He's choosing the option of the riskier option, in my opinion. He's going to risk it and see if he can make more on the free agent market. He probably can make more as in it might be a three-year 40 or something like that. He will not make 21 a year. I would be extremely shocked if he makes 21 a year. I think it'll be a very desperate team that would pay him the 21 a year. But it's great for the Cubs. You have Jason Hayward's contract that was like $25 million a year coming off the books, finally. And then you have Marcus Stroman's. That's 40-something million, which then you put into council, a new manager that is extremely good. So, I love that Stroman opted out. I didn't really want him on the team anymore. Uh, and so, I think overall for the Cubs, it is very a positive, a positive twist of events, a positive turn of events. And there is word that we are not going to re-sign him. So, you don't really have to worry about that at all. We're good on the Stroman front. He's going to be gone. Gomes is back. Six and a half million for the year. It was a uh, mutual and team option. I love this. I mean, gas money, Jan Gomes, gas money is what Obvious Shirt says. I love that saying. He had 267 last year with a 723 OPS and a 93 OPS plus, which you may say is not great, but he was also pretty good behind the plate defensively. He was very clutch. You know, the eye test would say that he actually hit better than that. He seemed to come up in the clutch. Uh, there's not, you know, like you can't really 
put stats behind clutch as much as you can you know just the base average and stuff which is absolute but during the whenever it was clutch he came through and his veteran presence he's a great guy he's a great guy to have in the clubhouse he's a great guy to have above Miguel Amaya I love that they have him back I was really hoping that they would bring him back so that makes me very happy and uh, we also brought back Hendricks the professor came back mid-year after the injury and he did great I'm very glad he had a very good bounce back season I'll admit I was kind of nervous that he would not do well and that he would just crumble because you look at it velocity is going up and up and up and he's just that low velocity guy every time he pitched I was just really nervous of oh my gosh he's going to just sell he's going to give up you know a home run and he gave up a lot of home runs but he's going to just give up eight runs a start he had a few rough starts but they were very solid and they were honestly I loved him like He's the last champion. He's the last person from 2016, especially now that Ross is gone. He's it. And so in a way, you know, it's like reminiscing on that. But he still has it, which is really impressive. I mean, he's still the same guy. He's still painting the corners. Uh, you look for him to really improve this offseason and get back to his full Kyle Hendricks self. So next, we had some fan questions that I posted on Twitter. Like I said, at stuck in Ivy pod that I posted on Twitter. And I got about five to six responses. Uh, I should have counted them beforehand. Uh, from at Cubs Nation 1001. They said, What if Otani can only be your closer and obviously hit? Are you still giving him 10 years and 480 to 500 million? So that's about 48 to 50 million a year for Otani if he can only close and hit. That's interesting. You look at it, he did close in the World Baseball Classic against Trout, the greatest at bat ever. I, it's up there. I mean, that was the greatest moment of this baseball season, I would say. Um, other than anything Nico Horner did, obviously. No, but, I mean, that's tough because if you look at it, he's a great pitcher, but also with his injury coming up, he's only going to be, he's not going to pitch for the next year at least, probably if we're being honest, year and a half. So that really kills his value. Um, and so you look at it, if he could only be your closer and then hit, Aaron Judge is getting paid a bunch of money to just hit, which is where I think you do consider doing that. I mean, Aaron Judge is getting paid around $40 million a year, I believe. Um, so, yeah, he's getting paid $40 million a year just to hit. So I think you do do that deal just because he said that he re he rejected an offer for over $400 million. I believe that was from the Giants. And then he took the nine-year $360 million for $40 million a year, which... That's a lot for it. That's a lot, but also it's Aaron Judge. So you look at Otani, who's hitting right on the same, if not probably better. He's hitting better than Aaron Judge. And then he can also close for you right there. Okay, he's worth probably 44, 45, I would say arguably $50 million right there. And then you have his market value. You have the market that you're going to bring, the Japanese fan base that Shohei Otani will bring, and the free agent poll that he will bring is absolutely out of this stratosphere he is something that you have he is the exception that word is being thrown around a lot for him he is the exception has anyone done this to like two-way a two-way player like Shohei Otani has done before this well no you can say Babe Ruth no Babe Ruth was playing a bunch against a bunch of electricians and plumbers no was Babe Ruth good sure Babe Ruth would not do anything in this league today I think anybody that like any but most people would agree with that is he the exception there? Yes. Have we seen anyone? He is he the most popular athlete on the planet right now? I would say LeBron James rivals that, but in baseball, without a question. 
And I'd say worldwide, with like, especially with the Japanese fan base and how much they obsess over baseball, yes, he is the exception. Would you like? Is this going to be the first time that the Cubs, if we were to end up signing him, give out more than 182 million? Yes, he is the exception. The ex- exception. That word is everywhere. He is the exception all the time. He is that exception. He is that good. So if you look at okay, so he's worth that 40. Well, I could say 490 million alone. With the amount of money that he's going to be bringing in with media, it doesn't really matter how much you pay him unless it's you know like 800 million for. 10 years, then it's like, okay, 80 million a year. And still, if he's to his normal pitching self, I think you do that. Now, I don't think, now you don't go that high. But you could consider, you could say, yeah, if he's pitching at a Cy Young level, okay, 40 million. Okay, you know, Verlander got, what, 42, 46. Him and Scherzer got around the, in the 40s. And then the hitting, okay, that's 40. So that's 80 million a year. You do worry with the pitching how long that can last, so I do think he lands around the 500 million mark. Even if he can still close, I still think you do that deal just because of the market value that he brings in. It's just, like I said, I cannot so like, stress enough how much money he's going to bring in with jersey sales. You're going to make that back in jersey sales that day. You're not, Obviously, you're, I'm joking. You're not going to make 500 million in jersey sales that day, but the amount of merch and the amount of Japanese media that you were going to bring to what let's use the Cubs as an example the amount of Japanese media that is going to come to come to Wrigley Field sell out Hotel Zachary the amount of merch the amount of marquee sports network sub, like subscriptions it's going to be out of this world if you do that you have to get Otani the amount of money like there is no downside to signing Otani with the amount of money you're going to bring in so to answer your question yes I would do that deal 10 years, 480 to 500 million to be a closer and hit. I would say the max. Max I would go there is probably 50 to 52 million a year. So 500 to 520, I say, is where I would cap it. But again, that also depends on if you wanted to go a little lower or higher on years. It's very flexible there. Tyler Brown says, What are the prospects you do not want to see traded and why? So there is one prospect that is 1,000 million percent. If he gets traded, I will be rioting outside of Wrigley Field. Unless it's for Mike Trout. Even then, I would still be like, what are we doing? But my, I would say, you know, for Mike Trout and, you know, Mookie Betts, Acuna, people that we're not getting, Cade Horton. Cade Horton, the first round, seventh overall pick. He was the best pitcher in the draft by far. Uh, he did well for the Oklahoma team during the World Series. He kind of came out of nowhere, and all of a sudden, it was like, oh, he's looking pretty good. Carter Hawkins really liked him. We chose him. Obviously, it's worked out very well. He is the best pitcher in the minors, I would say, other than Paul Skeens. Uh, Skeens, Skenis, I'm not 100% sure how to say his last name. I should have checked. Uh, but I would say he's taking the best pitcher uh, award right now. Kid Horton is number two. Kid Horton is arguably our best, if not second best prospect. Pete Armstrong would like a word there. Uh, but Kid Horton is someone that I would not trade in any fashion at all. We'll mention the Juan, uh, Juan Soto later. He is something I wanted to mention with that. But the other prospect, Pete Crow Armstrong, not as sure about this. I would be open to trading him in some scenarios. Uh, he didn't get any hits in the majors in the month that he in the month ish that he was up, which was very disappointing. But also he didn't really get to play much, because David Ross is kind of a bum and didn't really play him. Like there was no fielding time for he fielded a lot and he did really well fielding wise. He got some base running in, but he didn't get the amount of at bats that you would want to still, like let him get comfortable and then settle in and get some hits. But he was an insane defender, and I do trust those hits will get there eventually. 
Uh, ben Brown, I, I'm willing to trade Ben Brown. Kevin Alcantara, I'm willing to trade him. Brennan Davis, trade him now. I don't see anything coming of Brennan Davis, so I say if you can get any value out of him, do it. He was one of the best prospects. Injuries have killed that man, and so I would say you trade him as soon as possible. Lane A6122 says, What kind of season will Dansby have in his second year as a Cub? Gold Glove again. I don't see any reason that Dansby does not win the Gold Glove for the next five, six years uh, of his Cubs contract. He has six left for reference. Uh, this year he hit 244 with a 744 OPS and had 22 home runs, which is his third most. Uh, he had um, a few more in his other seasons, but he also played 13 less games this season. If you do remember, he did have a quick IL stint, and then David Ross overplayed him. Uh, but also, he played every day in the Braves uh, with in the Braves organization. He played almost every game. So you do wonder, wait, why can you not play every game now? But I do think it was just wearing down on him. Uh, and he did fine. I mean, it was very disappointing to the end. He could not hit a beach ball if it was thrown at him. He was swinging at everything. And he even, admit, he even admitted that he let the team down in the last month. I mean, the stats were just absolutely atrocious, especially with runners in scoring position. And you don't pay him $177 million for nothing for that. I mean, you, you you needed him to do a lot more. I expect for the average and OPS and basically everything to go up. I would be okay with the home runs staying right around there, around 22. Maybe can you get to that 25 mark? Uh, and, you know, set the... Or can you set a career high? Hit 30? I mean, I think he could do it if he didn't have the slump. If he, like, if he didn't have his bad slumps, I think he could have gotten to 30. He was on a mean pace. He had, like, four or five in a week once, and just keep, you know, keep that up for a few weeks. Uh, but the 244 average, I'd like to see that up to 260-ish, and then the OPS to be, I believe, was a 99 OPS plus, if I remember correctly. So I'd like to see that at about probably, like, a 105, 110 OPS plus at a bare minimum because you're getting paid $177 million. We know you can do it. The fielding does come first for him, and I don't think he's ever going to let us down fielding. He had a lot of errors, but overall, he won the gold glove. I think he deserved that. Will win 9L says, your dream Cubs offseason. Well, will win 9L. My dream Cubs offseason is we sign Otani, we, sign, we trade for Soto, we sign Yamamoto, we trade for Alonso, we extend Nico Horner for life, and we trade for Mike Trout, you know, dream offseason, you know, that's a, that's where I struggled with always because I'm like, okay, how crazy do I want to get with that? Obviously, a dream offseason, I would say, is we sign Otani, Yamamoto, and trade for Soto or trade for Alonzo. I don't think in, um, all of that's going to happen. Okay, I'll tell you right now, I know all of that's not going to happen. If that happens, I mean, I'll be a very happy man. I'll be, a, I'll be giddy. I'll be extremely happy. A realistic, I'm going to take... I'm going to change the question a little bit for you. A realistic offseason, I think, is you could sign out of the big five, which is Otani, Yamamoto, Soto, Alonzo, and Bellinger. You have to get at least two. I think you have to get two. I think if you get Otani, your odds for Yamamoto go up. I think if you get Yamamoto, your odds for Otani go up. Just because they, uh, obviously, they're both Japanese and they're both friends of Seiya Suzuki. So if you can get that, those relationships, I think that would be attractive. Not only can you offer everything you have, but then you can say to yourself, hey, hey, we have Suzuki that you're good friends with, and we have Yamamoto. I do think that is uh, attractive to them as free agents. But if you were to get, you know, Otani and Soto, Otani and Bellinger, Otani and Alonzo, I'm okay with that. I want Otani. I mean, I really want Otani. And I think it's starting to get to the point where if you don't get any of those five, I think it's a failure. And I think Bellinger's at the bottom of the totem pole. 
because uh, I don't really think he can really I don't think he can reproduce the way that he did last year and just give can continue to produce like he did at a consistent rate last year which was insane it was great it was a really jackpot signing by Jed Hoyer I don't think he can really recreate that at all um and so I would put him at the end of that tier list of those five but I think you have to get two of the five one of the five if it's Otani I'm okay with if it's Yamamoto maybe probably still kind of disappointed if you get none of the five I'm picketing outside of Jed Hoyer's house and I am asking for answers fast but I would say that is a realistic ish offseason uh, I'll mention some more players that I want later on and in other episodes uh, I'm doing a trade target of the day on my Twitter and those are some people that I have wanted uh, so far they've just been pitchers Logan Gilbert's one that I'll mention later that I love. I would love Logan Gilbert on my team. Ryan Bedard's season. Uh, Bedard's season. Love the Blackhawks. That's very exciting. So Ryan talks about how uh, he says, Tell me your trade proposals for Alonzo, Soto, and Glasnow, and which one you'd do as a GM. So for Soto, I actually would throw in Barlow. Uh, relief pitcher. He just became known available today on the trade market. I would throw him in. I, I want, kind of want him to be part of a deal or just him by himself. Uh, and so I threw them together and I said I would give up Jordan Wicks, Javier Assad, and Hayden Wesneski. Sounds like they really want arms. They want MLB ready arms. I would be okay with giving up Wicks, Assad, and Wesneski for that. Alonzo, uh, I mentioned Morel, which I would also mention Morel in the Soto deal, but it sounds like they don't want him to be the main piece in that deal. The Padres don't. Uh, and uh, Morel is a really, he's an interesting case that I'll briefly cover later. Uh, Alonzo, I would say Morel, Madrigal, and Assad. And these are also just, these are just crazy ideas that I have. Like, I haven't really dug too deep into, okay, is this something they would want or is this realistic? This is just what I feel would be sort of, you know, close to fair, depending on maybe they don't want, uh, maybe a morale trade for the Mets would be fair. They just don't want him. Uh, for Glasnow, I said Wesneski or Brown could be interested, uh, interesting for that deal. They'll want pitchers. I assume it's the Rays. They could turn me into a, into a Cy Young at this point. Like, I don't know what they're doing over there, what their cheating lab is, but I respect it. I did want to mention at the end of this, I was looking through the uh, MOB trade the trade simulator thing where people can like rate trades and make trades and stuff. I put, especially I put that soda one in to make sure because I felt it was fair, but I didn't want it to say like you know ninety points to thirty and me look like an absolute idiot. Uh, and I found a trade that is possibly the most, and I posted this on Twitter, possibly the most delusional trade I've ever seen, and that's saying something because I can be pretty delusional at times. It says that the Cubs will acquire Pete Alonso and Juan Soto, which can uh, is 32.3 points. And we will give up Patrick Wisdom, uh, Ben Brown, Matt Mervis, and then cash as well. We'll give up uh, a little bit of cash, not a ton. And it also has that the Mets will acquire Patrick Wisdom, Jake Cronenworth, Ha Song Kim, and Ben Brown. And the Padres will get Matt Mervis and cash. No one's doing this, except for the Cubs. The Cubs would do this 100%. They get more than double the value on all, all of those deals. Uh, I just wanted to point that out because I thought it was kind of funny and also ridiculously idiotic. Uh, no one's going to do that deal, except for the Cubs. Like That's a really dumb deal. Um, the Cubs are not focusing on Bellinger, per uh, John Morosi, which I thought was very interesting. He said that they're stepping back on Bellinger. I do think it is shaping up to be a 
they will only go in on, and make the move on Bellinger if it's near the end of the offseason and he still hasn't signed, or if they're like, wait, he's not asking for that much. Okay, we'll, we'll enter these conversations. I don't think they really... I wonder if they're thinking the same thing of, can he really like can he really do this again can he re like bring these stats back in the 2024 and on season and he's going to want a ton of money it's scott boris that's my worry so i'm okay staying away from him reese hoskins reese hoskins is the guy that i wanted to highlight here reese hoskins is one of my favorite first basemen especially right now with him possibly being a cub i would be elated to see that the cubs have been constantly mentioned by morosi and by other people as a uh Reese Hoskins likelihood so yeah I mean as I'm on his baseball reference the first rumor link says Patrick Mooney and Shahad Sharma of the Athletic uh, they say that he's an attractive match for the Cubs and that the Cubs consider him to be a good fit for their roster uh, his career he had a 242 average he has a 242 average with an 846 OPS 125 OPS plus and 148 home runs uh, he was drafted in the fifth round of in 2014. The guy did not realize he's 30 years old. Uh, so there's 30 years old. I would not. It's an interesting. It's sort of like the Bellinger deal in a way. He's coming off an injury. He got hurt in spring training of 2023. He would have came back. I believe they were planning on him coming back for the World Series this season. But the uh, Phillies obviously did not make it. So that kind of ruined their plans there. But I would be down with giving him a three to four year deal. I would love this for the Cubs. He is good at fielding and he's great at hitting. I would be 100% okay with this. He wouldn't be as expensive as Bellinger, and he would be right up there with Bellinger, I think, stats-wise. Maybe, probably not as high average. He's not on Bellinger's level, but he's not low enough to really say, no, we don't want to deal with him compared to Bellinger. So I would love that as the Cubs. Logan Gilbert, uh, please, Cubs get Logan Gilbert. I will love you forever, Jet, if you do get Logan Gilbert. I doubt he is available in the trade market. He would cost a lot. But he has four to five years left on his deal. He had a 373 uh, ERA this season, but he had a 320 ERA last year, and then a 468 ERA his first year, which is not as great. But he also did not pitch anywhere near as many innings. Uh, Logan Gilbert had a yeah around a 3.4 ERA the last few seasons. He averaged 181 strikeouts per year. He has around five around five million dollars this year for his contract. Uh, high strikeouts and good command. He increased his innings, yet he was still able to cut his walks down, which I think is the most impressive thing, is he increased his innings, and in normal you would think, okay, so the walks stayed the same or went up, but instead they went down, which I think is very attractive to a team. And then he also cut his walks down and hit by pitches down. Uh, so I would love for him to be a target, obviously Tower Glass now as well. Uh, and then the last thing that I wanted to touch on is Christopher Morrell, is he worth trading? I think yes. So he has played some third base, really shaky over there. Played outfield, really shaky. Played some second, kind of shaky. They're looking at putting him at first base in the winter league, sort of, I'm guessing, to get him some experience over there. Shortstop, he has the arm for it. I wouldn't trust him there. But then again, I don't know where I would trust him. He did a lot of leading off and DHing. My problem with Christopher Morrell is he is too big of a hit-or-miss player. And that's not too attractive to me because I am more of a... One of my favorite players is Nico Horner. One of my favorite things about him is he could just hit the ball. He makes contact. He'll hit it to the opposite field. He'll hit home runs occasionally, but he is a very just, he will hit the ball and he will. Oh, Javi Baez and Christopher Morrell are kind of twins. I mean, it's home run or strikeout. They both swing at anything. Javier Baez would swing at a ball on another continent. I mean, we know that. Cubs fans hated that. I do think if the Cubs really get him some work at first base, 
then he could look attractive to teams in the trade market saying, hey, look, he can play all four positions. Not great, but he can play all four positions. So I do think then that opens up more teams that could be interested in him. I don't think that you trade him just to trade him. That's the big thing. Don't trade him just to trade him. But I do think it is very intriguing if you could get a decent return for him. If you could in, like have him as part of the Soto deal, I do that. I mean, I get rid of him for Soto. I just think you don't want to get trigger happy and be like, okay, fine, we'll trade him, we'll trade him. You only trade him if there is value there. Otherwise, you let him develop, you work on that fielding a ton every day. Like You just pound that into the ground, just fielding, fielding, fielding. And then you also need to work on his plate discipline and his contact skills. But he also did decent hitting. I mean, it's really just the hit or miss and then the fielding that is just killer because you want him, with his athleticism, you figure he could feel better. You need him to do better and just work on that fielding. I think he's you got to trade Merrill. And I think you got to explore the options. I think his value is pretty high right now uh, with that bat. So I think you do look into trading him and see what's out there. I mean, shop him around. You don't have to be like, hey, we're trading him no matter what, but shop him around, see if you can get something decent back in return that you feel is of equal or more value from what you are getting. And pull the trigger. I mean, like I said, if you can get it, if you can get an Alonzo or a Soto, probably not Glass now. If you can, Logan Gilbert, yes. Uh, I mentioned Scooball, uh, Tariq Scooball as a target of mine just because I really love him and maybe the Tigers would trade him. I posted that. And I've had Tigers fans in my mentions the whole day yelling at me, saying, you're an idiot, they're not trading him. I never said they would trade him, just that he was very attractive. And I'm just admiring and like applauding him, and he is a very talented pitcher. Uh, he is something to keep a lookout for, but there are so many pitchers out there that you can grab. I would say Glassnow is my number one realistic target. And then Gilbert, again, I don't think they're going to trade him. I also don't think I would want to give up what the Mariners would want for him. I would say Glassnow is your number one pitching target at the moment. Uh, so thank you, everyone, for listening to episode one of the Stuck in the Ivy podcast. I hope you enjoyed. If you have any questions or if you have any comments, concerns, any questions that you would like answered on the next podcast, you can always reach out at Stuck in Ivy Pod or at my personal Twitter, JZ2016Cubs, and I'll be sure to reach out and answer all of those questions on the next podcast. I hope you enjoyed and have a great rest of your day.